Good morning, Life Center. Ooh, how we doing? Good. I'm so glad you're here. Good morning. Our second week of blood, sweat, and tears. And Pastor Andrew did a great job of this last week, starting a series off. And we're going to conclude this series next week on Easter Sunday. If you're a guest, we welcome you today. We're glad you're here. We want you to have an encounter with Jesus. Yes, we're nice people. Yes, we're pretty. But we want you to have an encounter with Jesus because that's the whole reason why we're here. If, if, if we're not here, we might as well sleep in or cut the grass or wash the car or something fun like that. So we're here to meet Jesus and to grow stronger together. So we hope that you will wrap your mind around that and invest yourself in that today. Uh, next week is Easter, and that's the day we recognize and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection, none of this matters. Because he lives, we have hope. We have hope for a better today. We have hope for a better tomorrow. We have hope for a better eternity. And we're going to talk about that hope next week in Blood, Sweat, and Tears as we end this series. So here's the build up and the pitch. Invite somebody to be here with you next week. Bring someone with you. Easter Sunday and share the hope that you already know about. How's that? You already know about the hope. We're going to talk about it. But bring somebody with you that we can share that hope with. Who's going to bring somebody next Sunday? All right. I got four of you. Awesome. Bring somebody to church next Sunday so we can share the hope that we have with them. But we're going to step back from the resurrection because resurrection is next Sunday. We're going to take a step back from Easter Sunday and look at the events that led up to the resurrection of Jesus. Resurrection doesn't happen without death. Resurrection doesn't and can't happen without death. And you're like, oh, it's going to be a... No, we have to talk about the death of Jesus. Before we can celebrate the resurrection, we must recognize and talk about the crucifixion. And that's what we're going to talk about today. First of all, who in here today has ever felt unloved? That's a lot of hands. I get more, I get more hands on that than who wants a million dollars. That should say something about us, our psyche, and our feelings. When I said who, I could say who wants a Big Mac and like two people raise your hand. I could say who wants $50,000 and like six people raise your hand. I just said who in here has ever felt unloved and nearly every person in the room raised your hand. You felt alone, like no one cared a thing about you or what happened to you. We've, we've all had those emotions. That, that, that little song that we sang as kids, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to what? Eat some worms. Who's ever eaten a worm? Not in tequila. An earthworm. Okay, a few of you. So as parents, we always try to let our kids know how much we love them, right? As parents, you want your kids to know that you love them and that your home is a safe place and they can tell you anything and they can talk to you. You want your kids to feel like they are it, right? You want them to be successful. You want them to feel loved. And something I did, I think, when, I think when, when Taylor was about four or five or six, we had this thing, I love you more. And we argue about it still. So what I did when she was like four, five, six, I bought this sign, and this hangs in her room now, 
But I, I had this sign, and I would sneak in. It'd be on her dresser, and I would sneak in her room, and I would grab it. Because every night before my kids go to bed, I go pray with them. Every night. doesn't matter. When I'm tired, if I'm really, really super sick, I'll send Tawana. But besides that, I go pray with my kids every single night. When Tristan's in college, I go in his room. When he has friends over, I pray outside his door. Why? Because it matters. It matters. What do I pray for? Their health, their education, their employer, their choice of study, their spouse, their kids. I want good grandkids. I want my in-laws to love me. I want harmony in my family, and I want my kids to have a blessed, harmonious life. So I pray for all those, all those things every single night. So I bought this sign, and I would sneak in her room. And when she was like six, seven years old, all I had to do was walk in and do this. And she would dive under the covers or hide her head in the pillow, something like that. So I never wanted my kids to feel like they weren't loved or that home wasn't a safe place. And as much as I, as much as I love my kids, they are our world it pales in comparison to the love that Jesus has for us. It pales in comparison. About also, this was her first time to sing since December because of her concussion. So I'm thankful that, that God has healed her and she can sing. That's awesome. So, no, I didn't hit her. She fell on basketball. So, as much as I love my kids, as much as I love my family, that love pales in comparison to how Jesus loves us. You are loved. Everybody say, I'm loved. loved. Who feels warm and fuzzy? Okay, good. I want today, or the days leading up to today, the, the last time, the last times that you will ever feel that way or want to say that no one loves you. You won't leave here today and say that no one loves you because nobody, nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. That's just how it is. We just sang this song, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved, he gave. For God so loved, he gave. You are loved enough for all the times that you felt unloved, for all the times that you felt unappreciated. You are loved enough to die for. If you've ever felt unimportant, this should make you feel important because Jesus loved you enough. From 2,000 years ago, he saw 2019 and saw you sitting in this room and knew that you would be here and knew how the the feelings that you would feel because the Bible says that he is touched with our emotions, that he feels and has felt everything that we feel. He knows how you feel and he loves you enough to die for you. I'm sure many of us have a mental picture of what the crucifixion of Jesus looked like. There are statues, there are necklaces, there are pictures, there are murals, you name it, it's got the crucifix on it. Who knows what I'm talking about? You see the cross everywhere. You see Jesus hanging on the cross. There's everything. And it has an image attached to it. And I believe, and this is my opinion, but this is not scripture. We have sanitized what we believe the crucifixion of Jesus was and is to the point it's just something we say or celebrate once a year. It's easy to say Jesus died for my sin. 
It's easy to say Jesus was crucified, but if we don't have a real understanding of, of what that was like and, and what he felt and what, what it looked like to have that happen, we, we don't really understand what this looks like. The summit's just the first of two times a year to go to church. They're called CE Christians. Christmas and Easter. They go to church twice a year to, to celebrate the, the birth and the resurrection of Jesus. To some, it's just an Easter egg hunt and a good meal with the family. And yes, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt here next week for your kids. So bring your kids and bring your neighbor's kids. Bring your, your people's kids and let them get some eggs. It's going to be fun. To some, it's just to have a family get together and have a good meal. I like that too, and we're going to do that. But the season is much, much more than that. Without Jesus doing what he said he was going to do, none of the promises he laid out for us would have happened. Jesus had to complete the circle. He had to complete the task that he, was, that he came here to do. So we're going to back up and use the scripture that Pastor Andrew used last week, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. He hated it. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. A couple of things. He hated what he was about to do. He hated what he was about to go through. But he did it because he loved more than he hated. He loved you more than he hated the misery he was about to endure. He loved me more than he hated the process and the shame and the embarrassment of what was about to happen to him. Because make no mistake, it was embarrassing, it was shameful, and it was painful. He endured what he hated so he could save us. He consciously made the decision to be brutalized so we could have abundant life here and eternal life with him. Everything we do or everything we don't do begins with a simple decision. And we have a definite reference point where Jesus made his decision. The pattern Jesus left for us is simple. The gospel is simple. Our path to salvation begins with a decision. And Jesus' path to sacrifice was made with a decision. Remember, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Before, he was ever, before it was ever known that he was going to be crucified, he said, take up your cross and follow me. Because he already knew what was going to happen. He already knew what he was going to go through. And he likened that to what he was going to do. Jesus' journey on the cross, it really began in the garden where he made his decision. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The guy who had healed people, who had raised people from the dead, who had multiplied food unimaginably. He said, my soul is heavy. It feels overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Let me translate. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, but here's the decision point. Yet not as I will, as you will. 
blood, sweat, and tears. The Bible said he prayed until sweat rolled off of him like great drops of blood. Heavy sweat. Who's ever played sports really hard? Or worked really hard outside in the heat? And your shirt became wet and, and sweat was literally almost running off your nose in, in a stream. Just big drops of sweat everywhere. The Bible described Jesus' sweat as, as drops so thick it was like heavy blood. Blood, sweat, and tears. The God in Jesus knew what was about to happen. So did the flesh in Jesus. He was all God. He was all man. But, but he, he, he knew what was coming. And his flesh, his person, didn't want any part of what was about to happen. But his spirit knew what he needed to do. And going back to Romans 12, too, he, in, he endured the shame and the agony of the cross for the joy that was set before him. So what was the big deal? I imagine there are people here today that have heard that Jesus died for you. Maybe this is, this is the first time that you've heard that Jesus died for you. Maybe you've heard that he was crucified. Maybe you've heard it your whole life, but you don't really know what that means. You, you may have heard that he was beaten for us, but it may just be part of a story that you haven't looked any deeper into. Today, you won't be able to say that any longer. We're going to look at, at the events that happened over the next 24 hours after Jesus was arrested. After he finished praying, Judas showed up, one of his disciples with the Romans, and Jesus, Judas had betrayed him, and Jesus was arrested. And here's what followed. A number of trials occurred during that night and early morning. Jesus appeared before the high priest, the Sanhedrin, Pontius Pilate, Herod, and then sent back to Pilate. That's six separate inquiries and trials that Jesus endured through that night. Although Pilate admitted that he found Jesus innocent, he still presented him to the crowd to suggest how Jesus should be punished. The crowd said to crucify him, and Pilate did not want to see Jesus die. So the first step in crucifixion was a scourging, and Jesus was scourged. During this, he was beaten with a whip similar to the, to the cat of nine tails, and what that is, is it's a whip, and and it's, it, it has leather stra uh, strings and straps up to three feet long. And on those were tied balls of lead and pieces of bone. It wasn't just a little whip that he got a flogging. It had bone and lead tied to it so it would cut. Here's a description. The usual instrument was a short whip with several single or braided leather thongs of variable lengths in which small iron balls or sharp objects and pieces of sheep bones were tied at intervals. For scourging, the man was stripped of his clothing and his hands were tied to an upright post. The back, buttocks, and legs were flogged by two soldiers or by one who alternated positions. As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victim's back with full force, iron balls would caused deep contusions, and the leather thongs and sheep bones would cut into the skin and tissues. Then as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Pain and blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shock. At this point, Jesus would have been weakened, a bloody mess. At that point, he was given a crown of thorns to both cause pain and mock him. Not a woven grapevine that we use for plays. 
but a crown woven from thorns. There's, this, there's disagreement in the religious world and scholars about what these thorns look like. Some say they were an inch, two inches long. Some say they were a half inch. It doesn't matter if they were rosebush thorns. The effect was still the same. The effect was still the same to cause pain and bleeding and shame. He was given a purple robe and mocked as king of the Jews. And then Pilate again presented Jesus to the crowd, hoping the scourging would be enough. And they would say, he's not going to do this anymore. Let him go. He was presented to the crowd again. And the crazy, bloodthirsty crowd just chanted, crucify him, crucify him. So then in his weakened state, he then had to carry his cross to Golgotha. It's called the place of the skull. He was given the cross, the crossbar to his cross, and then ordered to walk about six-tenths of a mile. That's not a big deal, to walk six-tenths of a mile. Forget, don't forget the condition he was in at this point. The skin hanging from his bones, blood loss, weak. Six-tenths of a mile is about 3,200 feet, 3,200 feet. And on a good day, a a man takes a a two-and-a-half to a three-foot step. When you're feeling good and you're ready to go and you're power walking, you take a a two-and-a-half to three-foot step. Jesus, at that point, I I would guess he'd be lucky, bleeding and depleted. I'm sure he was doing well to take a step of 12 inches. Just putting one foot in front of the other. He fell. The soldiers made Simon carry the cross. The rest of the journey. Once there, Jesus had nails driven through his feet and his wrists to hold him to the cross. He was lifted to the sky where he would hang until he died. To make sure he was dead, a soldier put a spear into his side. This is what the crucifixion would really look like. Not the pretty sunset sanitized version. This is what Jesus did for us. This is what he did for you. This is how much you are loved. He loves you more. When Jesus was born, the night sky lit up with a star. And when he died, the sun was blacked out. And in the middle of the day, the sky became dark. On the cross, Jesus forgave the thief. And he forgave the very people who put him in that situation when he simply said, Father, forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand. They don't know. And that's our example of forgiveness. That's how we should forgive. I read something this week that said, if you remember how many times you have forgiven someone, you haven't really forgiven them. If you can say, I've forgiven you six times for the same thing, you haven't forgiven them. You haven't completely let it go. When Jesus forgives, he forgets about it. He chooses to forget. And on that cross, after all that suffering, after carrying that cross, after falling down, after being weakened and depleted and just miserable and his skin and muscle hanging off of his bones, having nails driven through his wrist and through his feet to hold him on the cross and hanging there for hours until he died, he forgave. And you, 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 it puts into context a little bit when Scripture says, forgive those who despitefully use you. There's nothing pretty, there's nothing sanitary about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
There's no way to make it nice or politically correct. It is what it is. It was torture, and the Romans had mastered the craft. They would, they would defeat people, and they would have miles along a, a Roman highway of crosses, people crucified on these crosses. They were good at it, but the man who loved the most endured the worst. For you, for me, and for whomever chooses to take advantage of the opportunity that Jesus has offered us. And this whole process, this whole thing fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He wrote this 700 years. He lived 700 years before Jesus. And this prophecy fulfilled on the cross. He endured this shame, this humiliation, this agony, so that I could be free. So that I don't have to live a bitter, angry life. So that I can know that I am loved beyond any love that any human could ever have for me. So I could be saved. So I could live in peace. So I could beat addiction. So I could share what he has done for me with other people. That's why I said make sure you bring somebody with you next week. Because we're going to talk about the hope that he gives us. It's our responsibility to share what Jesus has done for us. Greater love hath no man than this. That he would lay down his life for his friends. His blood, his sweat, and his tears. All those things Jesus gave so that we could be free. Let's stand together. Maybe you've never heard the Easter story quite like this. Maybe it's always been made pretty and sanitized for you. I don't know. But the story that's told in the Bible, there's nothing pretty about it. There's nothing sanitary about it. There's nothing humane about it. It is a man being brutalized beyond anything that any one of us could ever imagine and enduring that shame. I love that scripture. He endured the shame, the agony, the misery of the cross so that I I am everybody say I am I am am the joy that was set before him y'all how cool is that that's how much you are loved don't ever ever utter the words again nobody loves me or I don't feel loved because all you need to do is revisit any one of the gospels and they're going to tell you what Jesus did for you Matthew, Mark, Luke John They're going to, in different ways, and different perspectives, they're going to tell the story. But one thing is going to be clear. Jesus loves you. More than you could ever imagine, more than you could ever quantify. Jesus loves you. Blood, sweat, and tears. He loves you more. He loves you more. Today, I'm simply, prayer team, come help me.
I'm simply going to ask you to do what Jesus did. No, not be crucified. Not literally anyway. We'll talk about that later. Everything in your life, everything you will ever do, begins with you making a decision. Today, make a decision to have abundant life. Today, make a decision to secure eternal life. Today, make a decision to honor the sacrifice that Jesus made for us when he gave his blood, his sweat, and his tears. So that almost 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, basically, we could stand here today and you and I, who have had moments where we felt like no one loves us and no one cares and nobody gives anything about what happens to us. All those emotions and, and things that you feel, Jesus felt. How do you think he felt when he was being beaten? When he had that crown pushed down on his head? When he was bleeding and trying to walk and carry that cross? When they drove nails into his wrist and to his feet to hold him on the cross? He was thinking, April 14th. 2019 I'm doing this so someone can know and somebody can feel that they are loved more than they could ever imagine that's why he did what he did and looking beyond this moment and this emotion this understanding that he loves us he, he did all this so that we could be saved and we could spend eternity with him I pray you have a blessed week. I pray that you, every day that something happens, that you can recognize and you can see how much Jesus loves you. Be in prayer this Friday. Jim's having a pacemaker put in. Hopefully that will full circle, complete his treatment, and he can have a swift and full recovery and be normal. Amen. So be in prayer for him on Friday as that happens. God bless y'all. Have a blessed week. Bring somebody with you next Sunday. We'll see you on Easter.